Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to ModPath Chat, the official podcast of modern pathology, featuring interviews with authors and experts on the latest science, technology, and developments in the field of pathology. Your host, Dr. George Netto, is the Editor-in-Chief of Modern Pathology and the Chair of Pathology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Here's Dr. Netto. Welcome to the third episode of ModPath Chat. Our guest today is Dr. Laura Wood, Associate Professor of Pathology and Oncology at Johns Hopkins University. Dr. Wood is one of the leading physician scientists in the field of GI pathology with a focus on pancreatic cancer uh, research. She's here today to discuss with us her recent study that will be published in the next issue of the journal Modern Pathology. The study involves a quantitative assessment of interductal carcinoma in pancreatic resections following key neoadjuvant chemotherapy. Welcome, Laura. Thank you for coming. Thank you, George, for having me and for your interest in our work. All right. It, uh, it, it was a great study, and uh, we surely wanted uh, to take it a step further and, and discuss uh, the design and implications. So let's start by, by asking you uh, what led you and your team to, to perform this study. What was the question you were trying to answer? Sure. So um, over the past several years in pancreatic cancer, neoadjuvant chemotherapy, so chemotherapy before surgery, has become more and more common and and is becoming near universal, um, at least in the United States. Um, This leads to important clinical questions for us as pathologists to assess um, the treatment response in our pancreatic resection specimens. And in the course of doing this, um, my uh, pancreatic pathology colleagues at Hopkins and I noticed that some cases where there was a really strong response to the neoadjuvant chemotherapy, um, we noticed that a large proportion of the residual cancer cells were actually residing in the pancreatic ducts. Pancreatic cancer is known to not only invade the stroma, but also invade back into and spread along the duct system, something that's been referred to as cancerization of the ducts in the pancreas and other organs. And we noticed that some uh, resection specimens, again, with a strong chemotherapy response, had a lot of cells left in the ducts. And this led us to wonder more broadly if this introductory location of cancer cells could impact the response to neoadjuvant chemotherapy. 
Thank you. So just just to be clear, uh, this is cancerization of dark. This is different than panin. Because I remember sure. in my days at Hopkins, uh, every specimen has panin. We're not talking about that. No, no, no. We're not talking about panin. So panin is pancreatic intraepithelial neoplasia. Um, and that's a pre-malignant lesion, meaning um, it is neoplastic cells in the duct that have not yet invaded. Cancerization of the duct is different. This is cancer that's been in the stroma and goes back into the duct and spread, spreads along the duct. Um, it's kind of a, a clear-cut conceptual distinction, but it's not always so clear-cut on a slide. And one of the, the challenges in this study and in any study on panin and cancerization is how do you tell the two apart? And we have some histologic features that we can use to try to, try to be confident in what we're categorizing as cancerization versus panin. I see. And, and, and I don't know that that played in when you were talking about the slide selections and what the, how, what do you quantify exactly as uh, cancerization of duct, uh, which yeah, is I think, retrograde versus panin, which is more like a precursor. Yeah. And I, I think there, there's been a greater appreciation of cancerization in, in recent years, especially in the pancreas. And I think previously a lot of what we've been studying as panin three is actually cancerization. Um, so this introductal spread of invasive cancer is a particularly common in the pancreas. And I think it's important to understand it as a, as a potential confounder of panin as well. Great. Not, not to deviate on the subject, but we have the same issues in prostate cancer. Is it high-grade pan introductal carcinoma or really a cancerization of ducts? So it's amazing how different uh, organs uh, share a lot in common. So let's, let's uh, move on to then the study design. Uh, can you briefly share with us uh, how you went about answering this question? Sure. Um, I mean, one of the, the big challenges with, with any sort of pre- and post-treatment study is that you don't get to examine the resection in both situations. Um, so for the neoadjuvant-treated cases, you only have a small FNA or needle biopsy of pre-treatment and then the resection post-treatment, and you can't accurately assess COD or cancerization on such a small piece of tissue pre-treatment. And so instead of doing pre and post from the same patient, we did two large independent cohorts one uh, set of patients that went to immediate surgery, so 77 patients that did not get neoadjuvant therapy, and then 97 patients who did. And we, you know, in detail examined the resection specimens in both of those cohorts um, and tried to uh, quantify the cancerization of the duct. Excellent. So you did that uh, based on uh, H&E, or you did that, I, I realized from reading the study, you selected a slide, a single slide that is representative and usually it's from the center of the tumor, if I remember. Yeah, yeah. So we, um, you know, we, we looked at all the, the pat clinical and pathologic features of every case. And so we looked at the prevalence of cancerization of the duct, meaning just is it there or not there? But then we also tried to quantify the proportion of cells that were introductal. And to do that, we actually picked one representative slide from the center of the tumor and we did a cytokeratin-19 um, immunohistochemical stain and used halo image analysis so that we could actually count the number of cells that were in the duct and in the stroma in one representative section from each tumor. And then you compared the two groups and... Right. We compared the, the proportion of introductal cells between the, the tumors that had received neoadjuvant chemotherapy and those that had not uh, received neoadjuvant chemotherapy. So this wasn't an eyeball estimate of whether it looked like there was more. It's actually a quantitative assessment of the number of cells in the duct versus the number of cells in the stroma in both groups. 
and and explain how how did the site why you CK19 how did that help I mean so um, the CK19 helps with the the image annotation so we can annotate just broad areas that have um, that are either introductal or stromal and then the image analysis program can count the number of Cetacare to 19 positive cells in those areas. Whereas if you use an H&E, you'd have to individually count each, a human would have to individually count and annotate each cancer cell. Um, whereas if we do only the, the um, to care to 19 positive cells, it's, it's much more simple to do the quantitative analysis. Importantly though, it wasn't like we just CK19 stained the slide and analyzed the whole, whole slide. We actually did this analysis and annotated while looking at the H&E to make sure we were annotating morphologically the right region so then do the quantitative analysis. So, so there was an active involvement. Yeah, the, not surprisingly, the first author on this study is actually a pathologist as well and, <laughs> and did all the annotation. As it should be. Yes. So uh, as far as uh, the results, I know uh, you found a lot of stuff, but what would be uh, the most important salient findings of this study? So I think the most important findings are that the prevalence of cancerization is actually not different between patients who got immediate surgery and patients who, who had the neoadjuvant therapy, meaning having neoadjuvant therapy doesn't change the likelihood that the cancer gets into the duct. What it does change is the proportion of cancer cells that remain in the duct after therapy. So we found that in the immediate surgery group, it's only a very small proportion of cancer cells, so about 2%, um, that remained in the duct. And that's compared to almost 13% in the patients that had neoadjuvant therapy. So there's a larger proportion of introductal um, cancer cells in the group that received neoadjuvant therapy. And this is, was also strikingly correlated with the response to therapy. So within that neoadjuvant group, the group that had the um, highest proportion of cells in the duct was the group that had the strongest response to chemotherapy. So when the, the cancer and the stroma responded very well, the cancer um, in the duct then was a larger proportion of the remaining tumor. Just for the uh, people like myself who don't do day-to-day do pancreatic, solely pancreatic cancer. So the evaluation of the response currently as a stand, there's there's some well-defined criteria, correct? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking that. So there's a a scoring system um, that CAP has designated where it's it's scored from zero to three based on um, the response to therapy, zero being no residual tumor and three being really minimal response to the the therapy. And we saw... um, that the largest proportion of introductal cells were in the, in the um, cap category one, meaning that there was a strong response of that stromal cancer, but really the, the cells within the duct seem not to be as responsive. All right. So it sounds like a relative uh, survival of the cells in the stroma are dying or, or being eliminated versus the one in the duct. And that's why in that highest response group or second highest, which is cap one, is where you're finding a lot of introductal or uh, cancerization of doctors. Yeah, and I think that that observation that it's in the the group that responds the most, where you have still have the most uh, cells in the duct, is important because uh, maybe an alternative explanation one might posit is that because you can't study the same tumor before and after therapy, that there's some sort of difference between the group that got neoadjuvant and the group that got immediate surgery. Um, and you could say the neoadjuvant tumors are just more aggressive. They just happen to be in the duct more because they're more aggressive. And I think that the two points that argue against that are one, that the 
prevalence of intraductal growth is similar between the two groups. And then also that it's the tumors that respond the best that have the most cells remaining in the duct. So it's not the most aggressive. It really is this residual um, intraductal cells after chemotherapy. This is a good segue into uh, you know, trying to explain why, why uh, we found that. Why are tumor cells within the duct uh, being protected? Uh, I know you entertained a couple of uh, ideas, uh, so can you share with us? Sure, of course. I mean, I think there are two um, possible hypotheses, and we can't really address which of these is true with our data because this is really a morphologic observation at this point. But I think the two possibilities are, one, that there's something different about the tumor cells that are in the duct that make them less responsive. I think that there's not data support that there's, you know, a different driver gene DNA mutation or something of those cells in the duct, but they are growing in a different space. They could have different gene expression or different other molecular properties that make them less responsive to the chemotherapy. So the first option that there's something different about the tumor cells The second option is that it's really a question of delivery of chemotherapy. Um, Once the cells get into the duct, they're again surrounded by the basement membrane. There's not, you know, the vascular access of tumors that are in the stroma. And so it's possible that the chemotherapeutic agents just don't reach those cells in the duct in the same way that it reaches the cells in the stroma. I think a morphological observation that supports that is that when you look at the the morphologic features, the atypia and the cytoplasmic changes that we associate with treatment with neoadjuvant chemotherapy, you don't really see those changes as prevalently in the neoplastic cells in the duct. Um, So that suggests that they're not getting that same effect of the chemotherapy and it it could be an issue of, of delivery. But again, this is something that would have to be, you know, tested in more experimental models. I like that uh, morphology still play a huge role in, uh, in, in trying to understand the etiology and causation like this. So, uh, and I, I tend to agree. I think uh, the, the delivery is, is probably an important player here. So uh, what are uh, the implications of this study finding going forward? Uh, is this going to change anything on how we evaluate specimens post-resections? Yeah, I mean, I think practically... Um, this does raise the issue of what we should do with introductal um, tumor cells when we see them um, in neoadjuvant resected specimens. The current um, CAP grading system doesn't suggest that those are, are really counted toward cancer, though it doesn't explicitly acknowledge what to do with them. But I think that this study really shows that these are introductal cancer cells. And if you know they're there, they could be a, a nidus for recurrence. And so we should consider... Um, more formal recommendations of what to do with introductal uh, cancer cells that are there post-neoadjuvant. And, and again, to clarify, I mean, we refer to them as introductal, uh, and usually classically we think of those as pre-invasive. So these are, these are actually invasive tumors that Absolutely. were cancerized, can- cancerization of the pre-existing ducts. So, uh, so by, by all means, they, are, they have the capacity to do bad things and having a residual tumor that is invasive, albeit sitting in the ducts, is not a good thing, probably. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think it's really important to distinguish these from carcinoma in situ, which would be, you know, panin or premalignant lesions. Um, these really are cancer cells that have invaded the stroma and then invaded back into the duct. I mean, I think the important future direction for this research 
um, is to, to try to determine better what implications these introductal cancer cells after neoadjuvant chemotherapy have on prognosis. You know, our cohort wasn't powered to say anything about, you know, the, the um, outcomes implications, but I think that's going to be an important, important, important feature to consider when we're thinking about how to potentially modify response grading screens based on these results. Sounds like uh, another study already in in mind. Looking at the yeah, ex- over- of course, <laughs> that's what we do. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised knowing you, Laura. Thank you, uh, thank you, uh, Laura. This was uh, an enjoyable uh, discussion, and uh, uh, I thank you for uh, uh, supporting the journal uh, with your submission. And I look forward to uh, inviting you, hopefully, to join our editorial board. and and help us with other studies. Uh, Thank you, George, for having me and for um, publishing our work and helping us to to disseminate the results of this study. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Any opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views of modern pathology, Springer Nature, UAB, or USCAP. Your ModPath chat host and scientific director is Dr. George Netto. Producers are Christina Crow, Amber Jackson, Dr. Sarah Jang, and Dr. Catherine Ketchum. Technical direction is provided by Kaminsky Productions, music by Mitch Neubauer. Thanks to the authors, reviewers, and editors of Modern Pathology for making this podcast possible.